You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always, after a little bit of a vacay, Thanksgiving, some time with the family, I'm sure some fried turkey, because of course that is, that is what Frank was telling you about the last time he was here on Locked on Bucks with you. It is Frank Ben, the founder of Ruhoop.com, and my good friend, Frank. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I had my, my fried turkey fill on Thanksgiving. Um, I, uh, I, I have to say, I really did not eat that much thanksgiving food um i had uh i was basically like like uh i I did not carve uh any of the fried turkey uh but there were three fried turkeys uh at my in-laws house because that was 23 people there and um so i just was uh talking to uh my wife's uh uncle and um while he was carving and i was just scavenging fried turkey left and right because uh, we were supposed to eat at like two and it was like not three, not until like three. And I was just like, I'm just gonna sit here and chat and you know what, just like scavenge turkey as we do this. And um, had some good conversations, <laughs> some good scavenge turkey. And, um, you know, my biggest concern was that my wife would come in and, um, you know, basically make fun of me slash chide me for scavenging turkey uh, before the actual meal. But then she came in and actually did it some of it like it herself for like a, a minute or so. So I felt, <laughs> um, felt okay about that. But, uh, but yeah, but by, t- by the time I sat down, I actually, I only had like one, I figured I would like go through like, you know, multiple trays of like all this food. And then I, I, I think I only had like one plate, one plate of it. I had, like, <laughs> a bunch of little like scraps before, uh, beforehand. Um, and I'm not really a huge sides guy. I like uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. Um, but other than that, I had uh, there was some salad, and then there was I think there was some other. Uh, oh, there was uh, I think was there Brussels sprouts. I had Brussels sprouts, salad, mashed potatoes and gravy, and fried turkey. I didn't eat any other sides. I had like a tiny little piece of uh, pumpkin pie. So I I feel like I I was actually okay in terms of uh, total you know overeating on Thanksgiving. But uh, I'm I'm probably a much more straight down the middle person. I, I know a lot of people are really into sides. I am, I am not at all into sides other than the mashed potatoes. Uh, what about you, Eric? What was your, what was your weakness for Thanksgiving? Uh, mashed potatoes and gravy are obviously I, just to me, they're always going to be just so good. Uh, so that, that's always one. I'm happy that you said you had Brussels sprouts. I'm not sure if you're in on Brussels sprouts, but I feel like they get a bad name. No, I'm in. Okay, good. They get a bad name because they were prepared poorly for a long time. I feel like, I feel like when I was a kid, they were always prepared poorly and I feel, and maybe this is just me wanting it to be the case, but I feel like our generation like kind of figured out like, Hey, maybe let's not prepare them in the least edible way possible. Like let's try to do good things with Brussels sprouts and make them delicious. And I feel like we've kind of figured it out. Yeah. I think you, you can do stuff with like, I feel like at a lot of restaurants now you see bus like uh, um, Brussels sprouts and they'll like, do things like they'll roast them with like 
things that are like savory and sweet yeah. um, or like just like balsamic vinaigrette. So I don't know, just like things you can do to make them more flavorful. Cause if you just like boil them, then yeah, I mean, they're pretty, you know, pretty kind of bland vegetables, which I, I mean, I'm fine with, with like boiled Brussels sprouts, but oh, see, um, I'm out on that. If you roast them, if you do something good with them, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the boiled Brussels sprout is kind of like the Chris Middleton shooting mid range jumpers under Jason <laughs> and Joe Prenti type, type version. You know, it just feels like, I mean, there's like something, there's like some nourishment factor here, but it's not satisfying. Um, there's some like nutritional efficiency, I guess, but I don't know. I feel like we could do be doing a lot more with this. Um, so yeah, uh, roasted and sauteed and savory and sweet, uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, feels like, you know, 2018, 19 Chris Middleton, Jack and threes. Um, so, uh, so shout out to Chris, uh, Chris Middleton in Texas, cornbread or dinner rolls. Is it, is it cornbread territory? Uh, I don't know if we are, my in-laws are entirely indicative of, uh, of Texas. They've been in Texas for quite a, some time, but their family is originally from St. Louis. So I, uh, I won't, I won't claim that, that everything we do is, is pure Texan. Um, we have like a cornbread, uh, they call it like a cornbread dressing. I mean, there's no stuffing because it's a, they, they've been having these fried turkeys the last couple of years, sure. um, which actually are, it's also kind of new for them. So it's not like they've been doing fried turkeys forever. Um, and I, uh, yeah, but we don't have, they don't have like, like just cornbread, like traditional cornbread as like a, you know, like a side thing. They did actually have, um, for some, I don't know if this is really a Texas thing, but they have, you familiar with these whole, they, they're called like Hawaiian dinner rolls. They're like kind of Swedish little. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm aware of that. Yeah. They're fine. You know, they, I feel like they're not, yeah, I agree. not exactly like high end type quality stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had some of those, um, which I had, uh, I had a little bit of, but I, I didn't feel great about it cause I felt like it was kind of a, I don't know, like a guilty pleasure type thing. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was, that was my, uh, my Thanksgiving. And then I didn't have, I, I actually ate no leftovers all weekend, which feels like kind of a waste, but I've never been a huge Thanksgiving leftover person. So, uh, do, have you had like your, your taste buds kind of change before where like you used to not like something and now you do like something? Um, I don't know if it's my taste buds. I will say this, Growing up, we never really, we didn't really go out to eat much and we didn't really eat like really ethnic foods ever. So like I didn't really eat like sure. any like Asian foods. We, I didn't even really eat like like Mexican, Tex-Mex, any of that type stuff really until like college. So I had like a, I mean, I still have like a, a pretty narrow, I'm pretty picky eater even now and I get a lot of grief from my wife uh, and family over that. But um, <laughs> I start like I, I can, I absolutely can find something at any type of restaurant. Um, but I, I don't know if my, my, uh, my taste buds change, but I, I will say I have come to appreciate things certainly more over my life. I will say this, the, the, the food that I prop, that I probably appreciate, and I don't know what makes me think is, but not really something I ate on Thanksgiving, but um, I never used to consume onions in any form. And now I feel like I appreciate onions um, much more than I used to. <laughs> Not like a plain onion. Like it's got to be like grilled sure. or sauteed or something like that. I mean, I didn't even like onion rings like back in the day. And now I really like onion rings as well as like grilled onions or like with fajitas, things like that. But um, so I don't know. Yeah. I would say my my palate has uh, has expanded since I was younger. I didn't really eat salads really until I was in my 20s either. So. Um, probably to some extent, yes. Um, but I still largely like a lot of things that I like growing up. 
Okay, so uh, I one I agree with you on grilled and sautéed onions. I was out on that for a long time, and they're just so flavorful and delicious that like I can't imagine eating many foods without those. Um, but like, so if I'm having a burger, grilled or sautéed onions, I'm down with. If you just put in like two rings of onion, I'm gonna be really upset because I don't like when it's just like raw onion on my burger. Not a fan of that. Um, but the reason why I ask. And I think you may have this because I think it's German. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on this. But red cabbage, is is that a German thing? Because I feel like it, my family is largely German. So that's a thing. And it's typically like served with our like Thanksgiving dinner. And I like as a kid, I never really liked it. Um, it's kind of, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like kind of salty and vinegary a little bit. Um, and I didn't think it made any sense because you're like eating this turkey and mashed potatoes and like sweet corn and rolls or whatever. Like it, it was all stuff that kind of was a, a very, uh, specific kind of group of taste buds that you were attacking and the red cabbage never made sense to me. But now I, this Thanksgiving, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it again. Like, I'm just going to try it. And I put a little red, I had a little, uh, little ladle full of red cabbage. And then I was pairing that with like the mashed potatoes and turkey. And it like made the mashed potatoes and turkey pop a little bit because it gave you something a little bit like salty and different in there. And I was like, okay, I'm into this. So that was why I asked. I I had red cabbage for, I think, like the first time since I was. I don't know, a teenager maybe. Um, so it'd been a while and my taste buds were like, yeah, dude, this makes sense. So that's why I asked the question. So red cabbage, I'm now in on um, for any of our German listeners who, which I would assume there, there will be some because many of you do come from the state of Wisconsin. Um, so I, I don't really, I don't, I don't know if that is, but maybe you can clarify. Yeah. Uh, so in German, red cabbage is called Rotkohl. Um and uh, so, and yes, that, that mean Thank that. I'm so happy I just got that yeah, out of you. Like, <laughs> Cole's last name in German is is cabbage, so herb cabbage uh, would be the literal <laughs> last name. Um, yes, and I I will say this: I am I am very like not uh, aligned with my uh, ethnic and sort of you know cultural roots in the sense that um, I don't like sauerkraut, aka sauerkraut. Uh, I don't like Rotkohl. I'm a big fan. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't like a lot of things. Well, I mean, I like like German sausages, brats, things like that. Sure. Um, but there are definitely things that I don't really like that are very traditional German. And a lot of it's because like I, my mom actually didn't really make it growing up. Um, my mom really didn't like start to cook until she married my dad. And so she really didn't like learn to cook when she was like living in Germany as a kid growing up. So mm-hmm. um, like the things that are German that she cooks, like they're not really from from like when she was actually like growing up and stuff. But uh, uh, sure. anyway, that's a digression. But uh, and I, also befitting of me being just basically a fraud. Um, I don't really like beer. I think we've talked about that on the podcast. I don't yep. I don't drink much at all. Um, and so it's especially um, fraudulent that I would be um, the person who started a, uh, a Wisconsin sports site called <laughs> Blue Hoop. Um, and uh, just generally, you know, like, I, and I don't love cheese that much either. Um, like I, I don't like, I don't just sit around like eating, like a lot of people like, like just sit around, like eat like cheeses and things like that. That's not really something I'm sure. that interested in. Um, so I'm really just a 
yeah, Wisconsin and, and German roots. It just it kind of goes again. I'm really going against a lot of that. But um, there was Milwaukee. I mean, Bucks aside from your fans. pronunciations, you're a fraud. You're a German you fraud. fraud. Besides, fraud. <laughs> um, OK, let's let's talk Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Uh, they had a back to back over the weekend and it completed a homestand in which the Bucks finish four and two. Uh, they lose to Memphis to start it on Wednesday, November 14th beat the Bulls, beat the Nuggets, beat the Blazers, lose to the Suns on Friday, and then beat the Spurs on Saturday. And I know we were kind of talking about this, and I think we'll get into each game specifically um, because I do think those two games are, are kind of are kind of different in, in a number of ways. But I think one thing we had talked about last week before all of this kind of got wrapped up, I think the last time we talked to the Bucks were two and one on the homestand uh, before playing Portland on Wednesday. And, you know, we had kind of talked about uh, four and two is probably okay. Five and one would be, you know, kind of if you're going to continue to be this, this really good team, it, five and one would probably be great. And then, you know, three and three would be, it'd be bad. Like that would be, that'd be pretty rough stuff. And the bucks end up going four and two on this homestand. So I guess in the aggregate, when you think about uh, the Grizzlies, Bulls, Nuggets, Blazers, Suns, Spurs, like I think in the end you got a four and two homestand, which I think you might've seen, like, you know, maybe you think you drop one to Denver or Portland instead of the Suns, Um, And maybe it's the Spurs instead of the Grizzlies, but either way, I think you get a four and two homestand and it's in many ways, kind of, kind of what you, you might've thought going in. Yeah. I mean, you talked about four and two, you know, the winning two thirds of your games, like, is that the kind of new bar? We kind of talked about that a week ago when we last kind of checked in or Tuesday, whenever we last recorded. Um, and, um, you know, I think, I think it's helpful to, to look at these, you know, look at the season as sort of breaking it down into chunks. And so, um, you know, obviously we talked a lot about the road trip out West that went two and two and how that was, a pretty solid return. Um, and again, like, you know, losing the first game, um, kind of put you in a hole and then you obviously win against golden state. You think, you know, you have a good chance to, to get one against LA, you lose that one. And then you win probably what seemed like it would be the second toughest game in, in Denver. Um, so that obviously was sort of closed, you know, one little ch- mini chapter and then coming back home, you know, he talked about how they were going to have a, a bunch of games in a row against, you know, cause you're playing at home that you'd be favored in pretty much all these games. And, um, you know, a bit ironic that they, you know, had probably their best performance, um, against the Blazers who are the only team that has beaten them by more than what, what's their biggest loss other than the Blazer game, like five points or something like that. I mean, they four, four. to the Celtics. Yeah. yeah. So, um, they, uh, they got their revenge in kind of a, you know, <laughs> a major way with that just <laughs> annihilation on Wednesday. Um, which, you know, it was, was kind of a funny game because obviously they were, you know, up by a lot with the starters and then the bench came in, shout out to the Christian Woodlands, um, you know, coming in Sterling Brown, uh, starting what, um, what carried over into the weekend, which was really nice to see um, the return of uh, hashtag lockdown Sterling Brown, hashtag downtown Sterling Brown. Um, so it was um, a kind of an interesting, you know, well, you know, since the last time we talked, it was it's ironic that the biggest, you know, win the only easy win came against the Blazers who've been, you know, the best of the three teams that, that they played in that span and that the, you know, the only loss would come against Phoenix. And, um, you know, that game was in particular really frustrating because, 
the Bucks have taken care of bad teams. Like they, they have not, um, they really haven't played down to their level of competition in general. Um, you know, I know we were talking for the podcast and you mentioned, you know, Chicago and New York are kind of really the only like terrible teams they've played, you know, Minnesota obviously, um, has had its serve struggles, but they've kind of pulled things together a bit. Orlando, maybe yeah, Orlando Ferry as well. Um, but you know, they annihilated the wolves on the road. They annihilated the magic at home, even with Giannis being like hurt half the game, New York, they had some problems with, although they were, you know, killed them in the first half. Certainly they didn't really kind of let the foot up on the, off the gas until the third quarter. And then they, you know, stomped them again in the fourth quarter. So, um, it was a really disappointing loss just because, you know, again, it's like, I mean, it was not a game that I would say you look at and you say, Oh, like we got to change everything, right? Like, Oh, you gotta, you know, you Burke Lopez stopped shooting threes. Right. I mean, an historically <laughs> bad three point shooting night. And I was fine with Brooke Lopez taking those threes. I mean, I was fine with him taking those threes late in the game. You know, I mean, I think the whole ethos of what this Bucks team is about is about, you know, let it fly. Like guys who um, have the ability, if they're open, like you, you know, you want them shooting the ball. And that's, that's what's so central to, um, to making this whole thing work. So um, it was frustrating. It was also frustrating for me just because, um, you know, that final minute um, to have, you know, Middleton certainly looked like he got fouled. Um, and you know, the ref tries to pull the hold like, well, he probably got fouled, but I'll just give them the ball back. Well, yeah, guess what? Like it's the last minute you can reverse things. And sure enough, you know, the yep. ball went out of Middleton, which was, it's a correct reversal. It was just a bad initial no call. And then Giannis clearly gets fouled by Deandre Ayton and the freaking rookie gets the benefit of the doubt with 12 seconds <laughs> left. Um, so to have, you know, basically what was it? The last like three and a half minutes, like you go, you know, it was, it was kind of like the Memphis game in the sense that they dug themselves a hole and they make a big run. They start to play from the front. And you think, okay, they, they have this, like, you know, they have the momentum finish this. And, you know, Memphis, obviously a much better team than Phoenix who, you know, he came in with three wins, right? I mean, this is, I mean, they have some talent, but this is a bad team. So pretty much no matter how you lose, whether it's on a last second shot or blowout, whatever, like there's no, there's no like, you know, like good way to lose to the Phoenix suns at home. Um, and so to have it be kind of this, like, you know, a combination of missing open shots and no calls in the final minute by a bunch of refs who, you know, I joked that it was an embarrassing loss for the Bucks and the 17 year olds who ref the game. Um, they were, you know, like two of them looked like literally like, I think it was like they were like, I think they might've been rookie officials, right? They looked very green and um, look, guys will miss calls. I mean, the Bucks should have put them away regardless, but it's just super frustrating. Um, you know, when Phoenix gets a three point play, with that TJ Warren and one on Lopez and then the bucks, you know, two stars get, get, you know, hit and and don't get any calls. And so, and then for Middleton to hesitate, you know, I mean, I didn't think it was good. I mean, I, when the ball went in, I immediately was like, he didn't get it off. There's no way you you can't hesitate with 0.8 and get it off. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't heartbroken in the sense that I thought they had won. That would have been the ultimate way to sort of like frustrate you in a loss as if you thought that that shot was actually good. But, um, I, you know, I think Chris was pretty forthright that he just, you know, he didn't, he knew he probably shouldn't have, but just kind of instinct. He thought a guy was there, you know, he just it flinched. And, and that was the difference between obviously getting it off and not getting off. And again, if he lets it go earlier, like who knows? I mean, he actually made it harder on himself by hesitating, but, um, you know, it just sort of summarized the last few minutes of the game. So that was super frustrating way to lose any game. Um, and, then, I mean, you know, fourth quarter of the next night, um, 
you know, after the really good start, right. I mean, the whole thing about like, Oh, the bucks got to come out and show some fire or whatever. Uh, yeah, they, they did. And they were up what a 26 to nine, 26 to 11, something like that in the first quarter. Um, but you know, Spurs bench brings them back into the game, which obviously the bucks bench has been the one that generally has been the one that has dominated opponents. And instead it was a bit of a role reversal. And, um, you know, the margin of error in that fourth quarter for the bucks was it's really narrow. <laughs> like they're down yep. 10, 11 points. And, um, you know, they, I mean, they needed to make some really big plays, uh, in order to come back and, and win that game. And, um, you know, obviously, especially after the fourth quarter against the Suns, where Giannis, um, you know, fortunately wasn't that involved to see him just, you know, um, repeatedly just be you know Dante Cunningham just have no chance to stop him against the Suns or against the Spurs and um, for him to get you know a, a reasonable whistle and it's like yeah okay like a reasonable whistle on Giannis gets him 20 free throws <laughs> like you know it kind of makes you wonder like are we going to start to see more of that yeah I think one thing I've talked about on this podcast before is like I I don't know if I was ever this way when I was a fan. And now that I'm not a fan, like I'm, I'm definitely not this way. So like, I'm never going to, or I, I shouldn't say never. Like I, I probably do it some, from time to time, but like, I'm not going to try to tell you how to feel as a fan. Like if you're pissed off, you're pissed off like that. That's just going to kind of be how you feel. But like the, the thing I was having a problem with on Friday night was like all the people that I had tweeted me about, like, Oh, well, this team keeps playing down to their opponents. Like, they got to stop doing that. And it was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I had people saying, oh, they always play down to their opponents. Like, it's very much not been the case this year. Like, in the past, like, I, I, I will happily concede that that might have been the case. Uh, and the Bucks would do that. Um, and I think during the Jason Kidd era, I think they, they regularly did that. But, you know, kind of as you brought up, like, They've played some bad teams this year and, you know, they, they led the Knicks by 15 at halftime before that third quarter where the Knicks made all their mid rangers and the Bucks missed all their threes. And then they still ended up beating the Knicks by 11. They totally dismantled the Wolves from pretty much, uh, they had a rough start to that game, which has been, you know, kind of something that they've struggled with out this throughout this entire season but you know they beat the the wolves by 30 so they didn't play down to them uh the magic they whooped without Giannis. uh and really it's just been like these last two games like the first half of the bulls game they played down to them and then they still beat them by 19 uh and then against the suns they obviously did it and and ended up losing that game and like the my biggest problem was just like there's no pattern here like th- there's no oh this is what the bucks always do like they don't like if if we're all going to say this is a different team than it's been under Jason Kidd, which I think you'd have to be a crazy person not to agree with. Um, if we're going to say that, then we have to base it off this year. And they've they've barely played any bad teams. And in the games where they've played bad teams, this Suns game was the first time they truly did not take care of business, and only the second time uh, that you know they played down to their competition to start the game or whatever it may be so that that was the thing that frustrated me most is like you want to be pissed off about them losing to the suns that's cool like this is going to be their worst loss of the season like and if it's not their worst loss it's going to be one of their worst losses um you would hope that they don't have much competition uh, for worst loss of the season uh with one to the suns uh because that's about as bad as it can get um but 
you know, like this is going to be the worst loss of the season. So if you want to be pissed off, that's fine. Like I, the, my bigger problem was just like trying to draw like bigger patterns or talk about bigger problems. And that was kind of what you're talking about where it's like, there was nothing to fix. Like, you know, Bledsoe and Middleton just have to decide to play in the first half, like whatever they need to do to flip the switch. Like that's what they need to do because you saw it in the fourth quarter, like Bledsoe just decided Devin Booker wasn't going to score. He came back on the floor with eight and a half minutes left and Devin Booker literally did not score the rest of the game. And that was all Eric Bledsoe. Like he was denying him the basketball. He was getting over all the screens. He was making everything tough. Like he just decided Devin Booker wasn't going to score and he didn't. So like that is, so if you, if you're looking for, you know, they played down in the competition. I, I mean, I think that would be part of it. Like, Hey, he, he didn't come out and take care of business uh, right away. So uh, th- that, Again, obviously, be pissed off they lost to the Suns. It's a terrible loss. Like, it's an embarrassing performance. Like, you shouldn't lose to the Suns. That's totally fine. Um, I, I just didn't think, you know, drawing bigger uh, patterns out of it was really something that'd be necessary. And then you you mentioned the fact that, you know, this team is one in four in close games. And um, I guess, personally, I don't view that as, like, uh, as a Bucks problem. I view that as something that, that probably is going to come out in the wash at the end, like the Bucks are probably going to win some close games and they're probably going to lose some close games. And that's going to kind of be how it goes. And, you know, like when you think through it, like was the Nuggets game a close game? Uh, I guess we're either Nuggets game close games because I believe we dictate five points and they beat the Nuggets by six uh, the second time. And they beat the Nuggets by seven the first time. Like I would say both of those were, were really strong wins in close games, in tight games, and they won't end up being one. The Spurs, they beat by six. Was that a, a close game? I would say yes. <laughs> Watching the game, I thought it was a close game. So I do think there is some some fun with numbers in, in all of that, like kind of baked into that. So like there is no denying that in games decided by five points or less, the Bucks are one and four in the season. Like that that's so Stone cold fact, no doubt about it. Um, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily get the the sense that the Bucks are struggling to close games. Um, I just think you know they've had some bad lucks in those. Like uh, that Lou Williams shot was really tough and really well defended. I like there wasn't an angle for that shot. I don't know how it even went in. Um, and then you know the the Jamal Crawford shot, another one that I thought pretty well defended. Jamal Crawford tends to do that and. You know, he, he does have that length and that ability to really rise on the jump shots. So, you know, maybe that could have been better defended, but, you know, you lost to two shots like that. And I would guess in the end, Giannis is going to hit a shot or Bledsoe is going to hit a shot or Milton's going to hit a shot and probably take one from another team. So um, I do always feel that, you know, especially with really good teams, which I think the Bucks are, like, I think this stuff tends to even out in the end like if it gets to charlotte hornets level where they're two of 22 in close games in the last three years i think okay there may be something uh problematic like there there may be a, a systemic problem there that you need to address but i just don't really get the sense that that, that is what's going to happen with the bucks that when they get in close games this year they're going to lose those so i do think those tend to even out but yeah i i don't think there's to me, there's no way around that a loss to the Suns is a terrible loss. But I also think that, again, like freaking out about it or thinking that like the the Bucks are the only team that are going to have a bad loss this year is the way to look at it because they won't be. Like everyone will have them. It's just going to be one that 
obviously we're all going to circle at the end of the year. Like that's just kind of how it does. Like that's just kind of how it goes. And I, I would also say that we tend not to circle the wins that go your way at the end of the year that you don't look at you beating a team out by one. And it's like, well, you know, my team didn't really deserve those three wins. Like those, that, that was a game they shouldn't have won. Like you're not going to look back on the, this back-to-back Sunday at altitude game and be like, well, Bucks should have won that one. So we should feel lucky. Like the, the tendency of a sports fan is to always look at the negative and the, what could have been rather than what ended up happening. So um, I, I think it's gonna be interesting. Like, I do think this is going to come down to splitting hairs at the end with the Raptors. And you're going to look at, you're going to look back at this one with regret. Yeah. And I think um, it's a great point. I mean, you know, the, the two Nuggets games, I would say certainly felt like close games. Right. Um, and even that Knicks game was close. And they, I mean, that was about, you know, yeah. felt like as close as an 11 point win is we're probably going to have um, at least in the fourth quarter when they were actually losing at one point in the fourth quarter. So um, yeah, I mean, and it's a credit to the Bucks that, you know, they have taken and if the Spurs, like if the Spurs garbage time layup goes in, that's a close game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because they, 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 it's 20, it's 135, 131 instead of 135, 129. Right. And so I think the, you know, it, I don't, I don't see like a reason why the Bucks can't be good in close games or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think again, like, you know, you look at what they do, Giannis plus shooters. I mean, you know, <laughs> playmakers at multiple positions, shooting at every position outside of Giannis. I mean, that should play well late in games, right? Like there's, there's no reason. It can't. I mean, I think the, the only real, I think concern crunch time wise will just be like, well, in certain situations, like, are you going to be able to play Lopez at center? And you'll probably, you know, have to yeah. think about doing something different, whether it's playing or son um, or something we really haven't seen much at all. Um, I think we've seen fewer than except against the Spurs, right? Giannis at, at center. Right. And I think I was looking, I think we've seen fewer than like 20 possessions all year when Giannis has been yeah. on the court without, any center or Urson. So we're still kind of in like the, you know, this hasn't really happened type, you know, sample size, which, um, you know, the Urson lineups, I think I was checking earlier today, the Urson plus Giannis big combination. Um, they're like plus 21 net rating in like 175 possessions, which is a pretty decent sample at this stage of the season. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It doesn't always, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have really had a good feel for that. Like, I don't, I don't like intuitively, it hasn't felt like they've necessarily killed with that couple agreed <laughs> back pairing. And maybe that feels like maybe that's in part because they've trotted it out at times, like in the Boston game um, in the fourth quarter of the opener against Charlotte, when Kemba was killing, like they've kind of brought it out yeah. at times. I don't want to say as like a last resort, but as more of an adjustment when things haven't been going well. Um, so it maybe has not always felt like it's like, Oh, we're like putting away teams with this lineup. Um, but I think that's important, especially because, you know, with Henson out, um, Thon has had some pretty good moments, and he's had also. I mean, um, there. I mean, they're. You know, and, and I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, now the last week, kind of these, some of these games are kind of like blending together for me. Um, I forget which game was it was where he didn't play at all in the second half. Um, Denver, he played four minutes. Yeah, and he, I think, was like a big negative maybe in the first half. And, um, you know, it was just like, all right, can't play him this game. Um, and, you know, they're just like games where I think it was that game where it's just like, you know, the fact that he can't like catch a basketball like in, in the paint or like rebound. Like, I mean... Yep. problem you know like it's it's a problem like if if his three-point shot is dropping and it and it did at a couple points this you know in the past week then 
um, you know, that's exactly kind of what the Bucks want to do, right? I mean, as we said, yep. he's got sort of the least adjustment of anybody in terms of like offensively. He's a big guy who always wanted to shoot threes, and now he's playing for a coach who just wants his big guys to shoot threes. So great. Um, <laughs> but defensively, obviously, it's it can be rough at times, and other times he looks really good. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of it's it's tough. I, I don't know. I mean. Wood hasn't played any meaningful minutes, really. You know, I mean, we haven't seen obviously Wood play meaningful minutes in the NBA period at this point. Um, so it's kind of hard to project exactly how Wood might mesh. Um, I think it would be interesting to see, you know, like what does Wood look like out there, like with Giannis, for instance. Um, you know, can you use Wood in a way offensively that unlocks something that maybe Thon doesn't? Um, like for instance, I mean, like I don't think you throw Wood out there necessarily with like the other starters. Cause you have so many guys who can play offense anyway, but um, you know, and like some of these bench lineups, like maybe there is some way where the fact that wood can actually catch a basketball and roll to the hoop and finish and do stuff um, yeah. like maybe that brings you something. Um, but, but I don't know. Right. I mean, again, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, Thon has been kind of the clear guy that they're giving the chances to right now is sort of the second string center. Um, and obviously the only other guy really, you know, around other than Giannis and, and Ursan combinations um, is wood. So I, it'll be interesting to see if, if wood does get a chance at some point, um, because again, like, I mean, I don't think we've seen really like a different fun maker or anything like that. Um, I think we've still sort of seen, you know, mostly kind of frustrating Thon. kind of sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's not. And obviously he's, he's gotten a, a, at this point, still a good chunk of his time has been garbage time. So it's still kind of hard to really gauge him, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting to watch. Can we, can we maybe, I don't know how much I want to talk about Thon first. Have, but, um, so okay. Then, we, then let's talk about Giannis because we need, like, we can't not, like, it's absurd that Giannis <laughs> did what he did over the past week and we're like, yes, but talk about that. Um, so I'm, I actually wrote something about this uh, at the Athletic Wisconsin. Uh, you should be listening to this on Monday, so it should be there today. Um, but I think the thing that's really interesting with Thon is that, um, you know, he's getting these minutes. It's been five games now, I think, since John Henson has been like fully out. And, you know, maybe you can call it five and a half because that Memphis game, he only played like those five minutes. And then that was like a, a big part of that lineup that kind of turned it around and got them back in the game. But, you know, like across those six games, I think your point about us kind of seeing the guy that we've seen makes a lot of sense to me. Like we 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 don't really see him struggle with like the energy plays. Like the plays where he's asked to scramble, um, the plays where he's asked to like run around and try to block shots. Like he still he still looks like Thon Maker doing those things. But I think where it get where it becomes really interesting is like the boring shit. Like can you can you zone drop? Can you block out? Can you contest shots? Don't block them. Like, can you contest them at a level that you need to contest them um, where you're pushing guys further out than like, a, like instead of a, a five or six foot floater, can you make it a eight or nine foot floater? Because Brooke Lopez, as slow footed as he may be, is great at it. Like he, the shots that he contested, contests the way that he contests them, like he just doesn't really let guys get inside 10 feet and he's able to get his hand up and make those really tough shots. And we've seen Thon struggle with that. So um, it was interesting talking to John Henson because uh, I, let me pull up this quote quick. Um, He had said, 
uh, we got a chance to talk to him because John Henson's gonna be getting surgery on Tuesday. That might have got missed in like the Thanksgiving shuffle, but he will be getting surgery on Tuesday uh, to his left left wrist. So Matt Velasquez and I got a chance to talk to him, and you know, I kind of asked him like, "What do you tell Thon? Like, how how do you try to tell him to approach this?" And he said that with the rotations, I was playing about five or six minutes per half, which isn't a ton of minutes, but obviously you've got to try to be effective. I told him, especially when you're playing those smaller minutes, you've got to focus on the little things, the blockouts, the schemes, and everything else will fall into place. That's kind of the conversation we had, and I'm sure he'll do fine. I'm excited for him and the opportunity as well to play some con- consistent minutes in the rotation. And to me, like that was that that was the money quote to me. Like That's how Thon has to figure out how to play. And you know, in the past, he's really struggled with defensive rebounding. It hasn't been quite as drastic if you look at the clean the glass numbers that like on off for him. I think defensive rate rebounding with him on only goes up like uh, plus like about a percent defensive rebounding uh, percentage, which like for Thon, who last year it was drastic. It was like five and a half percent. Um, the defensive rebounding rate would go up uh, for them when he was yeah. on the floor. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, so like it it was bad. (laughs) Like they were giving up more offensive rebounds when he was on the floor. So um like those are the things that he has to get good at, and those are the things that we've seen him struggle at. Like being able to play a zone drop consistently, being able to box out consistently. And even if he's not grabbing rebounds, like as Brooke Lopez has shown, like you don't have to grab the rebounds. Like you just have to get a body on the big and let all of your teammates clean it up. Like that's what you have to do in this scheme. And I think those are the things that we've still seen him struggle with. And to me, that's kind of what this next month is about. Cause I do think Mike Boonholzer is probably going to give him some time to try to figure this out. Like, I, I don't know that five or six games of anywhere from eight to 16 minutes is enough to, you know, feel confident in your feel for how this guy is in your scheme. So you're probably going to give him some more time. So like, I think in this month, like, okay, Thon, Everyone can see you block a shot. Everyone can see you like switch on to someone. And like, those are good skills to have. Don't get me wrong. Like they can, they can be nice, uh, nice kind of change of pace kind of stuff. But like you, you have to be able to find a way to play consistently inside of Mike Boonholzer's scheme. And, and we haven't seen that yet. So I, I do, I totally agree with you. I think that's going to be really interesting to see and how long he gets that chance before you know Christian Wood gets that chance I think that's an that's an interesting question so we'll see there but now let's talk about Giannis um where do you want to start Uh, there's a lot (laughs) he's uh, go just go for it I mean like I, I, we just need to, we need to do this like every, every week or we need to make sure we carve out some time to just sort of tell people to like, all right, pause and appreciate like that. You're watching a player and, and a person like this um, performing at this level night in and night out, because again, I don't want to be depressing, but as Bucks fans, this is the top of the mountain in terms of like players that you're going to see, like hopefully Giannis gets better. Yep. Um, but the odds of us seeing another player like Giannis or, or at least a player of Giannis's caliber. Um, and this is true for any fr- franchise, maybe, maybe like the Lakers or whatever, like maybe the, you know, like an LA team might be more likely to, to attract a guy like this, you know, like being able to get LeBron or whatever. But um, 
but these guys are so rare to find a player, that generational talent like this, a generational person like this, and to have this guy um, from, you know, the start of his prime into, you know, really now the, I mean, I don't want to act like this is the start of his MVP caliber play. Cause I think it started really in earnest last year. Um, but um, I mean, he's doing stuff that, that, humans don't have any business doing on a basketball court. Um, you know, he's averaging still almost five dunks a game. You know, he's on pace to, you know, have the most dunks of anybody basically since Shaq in a season. Um, and, uh, what he's doing, rebounding defensively playmaking. Um, it's, uh, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, yeah. And I think if you had the MVP vote today, he'd, he'd win it. Um, he's definitely got things he can still improve, you know, obviously the, the shooting and free throws and turnovers, you know, we've talked about it for a bit, but, um, you know, with, with those minor kind of warts, obviously, uh, they don't prevent him from being just completely unstoppable. And I mean, you know, the sun's just, I mean, they had nothing, you know, (laughs) I mean, like they had no, no answer for, for, to stop him. I mean, 14 out of 16 from the field, what do you have like nine dunks or something like that? Um, and similarly the Spurs, right? I mean, guy shoots 20 free throws is a pretty good sign that they got nothing that they can do to stop a guy. And, um, you know, I worth mentioning that Spurs game. I think, um, I, I think this, the bucks were like down double digits in terms of free throw attempts going into that fourth quarter. And I think they, I don't think I want to say they, they were might doubled up given- at 24 to 12. And then the Spurs got to 28 at the start of the fourth quarter. I think the Bucks might've been at 13 or 14 at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of the game, I believe I'm not sure the Spurs shot another one, maybe one or two yeah. more and the Bucks had passed them up. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously we know that free throws have, were, you know, fouling were a major point of emphasis after struggles in that department or Jason Kidd and, and Bud obviously always emphasizes that that's a Spurs thing too. Um, so that was definitely an interesting subplot, you know, not a, not a sexy subplot, but, um, <laughs> for the bucks to turn the game around in large part because they, you know, turned around the, the free throw disparity was obviously a huge, a huge story. Um, and Giannis is obviously kind of the centerpiece of that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just, it just, just amazing. I mean, some of the plays that, that he, you know, just makes on a nightly basis. Um, and again, like, I don't think you become numb to them, but it's easy to, as a fan, just sort of like you know, and I don't even want to say take for granted. Um, but again, like you, you do, um, you do just get spoiled just watching this, this every night, what he's able to do. I mean that for some reason that play one play, I don't, I'm not even saying it was like the best play he had against the Spurs, but there was that one play where he kind of was from the, I think it was from the, you know, the, the block on the left side and he kind of drove across and like a normal person would have like taken like a running kind of little, like like half hook shot and he just sort of like took a like a fadeaway dunk (laughs) i don't don't even know how to describe it um it was kind of like an off balance his body was kind of like angled like going back a little bit and he just like hung in the air long enough that dante cunningham he just sort of shrugged off dante cunningham and just dunked it and um i mean the the plays that he is able to turn into dunks are are just i don't know it's just like every night he's giving you like you can't dunk you know you dunk that um, you know, like he's not gonna <laughs> dunk, he dunk that too. Um, it, it's just it's just remarkable. So, um, yeah, I mean, just I don't know, not much more you could say that the the windmill he had um over the weekend on the fast break, um, 
I mean, that is just art. We've talked about how much my love is his breakaway windmill dunks. Um, but when he just cocks them back like that, um, that's just, uh, that's just that's just a beautiful thing to see uh, on a basketball court, and for you know Giannis to be our guy, it's a it's a privilege. So um, hats off to Giannis uh, on a week where, if not for that that Suns loss, he I think he definitely wins Player of the Week. Who knows? Maybe he'll still win Player of the Week because um, the numbers he was putting up over the course of the week obviously were uh, were pretty pretty um, mind boggling. But you know now we're just sort of used to. It. I think of what he's up to like over twenty seven points, thirteen boards, almost six assists. Um, I think he's shooting like 58% from the field right now. Um, yeah, I mean, his, uh, his, his efficiency numbers across the board now are, are career highs in, in most departments too. So, um, you know, after some, I mean, still his free throw percentage, obviously still not very good. It still has a lot of you know, high turnover rate. still obviously has not hit threes. Um, I mean, just to think what, where he could be if he kind of brings those numbers up, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So, um, yeah. Giannis Appreciation Day should be. We should just make every Monday a Giannis Appreciation Day or something like that, just so we. Uh, I'm okay with that. You know, I think it's a good idea. The Church of the Freak meets every uh, every Monday evening, uh, <laughs> or whenever you listen to your your through your favorite podcasting app. <laughs> but uh, yes, Giannis, praise be to Giannis. I will say one spot where uh, you know I was talking about the idea that like I'm not a fan anymore, and like one spot where um, I think I have an advantage over fans is that I have like. Uh, the the beat writers from another team sitting next to me and there there will always just be like a play and it's not always the same play for each writer but there always be a play where it's just like oh come on or what or are you serious or oh like there will always be that reaction to a Giannis play and it's at I think that helps keep reminding me that like this isn't normal <laughs> this is this isn't like it may be normal for Bucks fans because you see it every night, but it, it isn't normal in the grand scheme of NBA basketball. As I said last week, like this is this is Shaq shit. Like he does Shaq shit, except he dribbles into it and somehow doesn't. And I, honestly, there there should we should almost be impressed that he doesn't get more offensive fouls like the fact that he gets the number of offensive fouls that we find annoying like we should be impressed that he doesn't fall out of every game somehow getting dunks off of drives like it's just not something just not something players do and i i do i was thinking about the other night when oh man i don't remember what game it was at halftime he had when did he have 25 at halftime portland i think it was Maybe I've, I've, I they all blend together, but uh, yeah, I think he had twenty five. Yeah, Does he get that fadeaway? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. fadeaway. Yeah. So he has twenty five against Portland, and like the conversation I always end up having with people is always like, okay, well, is he going to play enough to get a triple double tonight, or is he going to is he going to play enough to get like a career high? And like the last, I think 33 was his career high, uh, or not his career high, his season high. Um, yeah, he, he's at 33 twice until Friday when he scored 35 against the Suns and then 34 against the Spurs. And it, it's just, it's to a point where like the question isn't, you know, whether or not he's going to get a triple double um, or he's going to get to a, a season high or anything like that. Like the question is, is the game going to be close enough to allow him 
to get to those numbers? Like that is the question you end up asking because, you know, against the Blazers, he plays 30 minutes and like, well, it wasn't close enough for him. Like he was, he was trying to, at the last second, get that triple double as his teammates were helping hunt for that one as he uh, did double Tony Snell plays. And then he whipped one to, Thon? I'm trying to think who ninth assist was. And then I think both uh, Pat Connaughton missed one and then Thon dribbled out of a look uh, to end the the third quarter. And it was like, oh, well, Giannis had his chance to try to get that triple double and the whole bench knew it and everyone wanted him to get it, but uh, he just didn't get to it. And it's like, okay, got to get it done in three quarters if, if you want to do it. And, you know, that's that's not just speaking to Giannis's greatness. Like that's speaking to the team. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff you used to say about the Warriors, right? Like I remember uh, when the Warriors like first kind of came on the scene, like it was Steph third quarters, right? Like you would, if someone texted you like, Hey, turn on the Warriors game or you texted a friend, Hey, turn on the Warriors game. It meant turn it on now because it's going to be such a blow up by the end of the third quarter that the starters aren't coming back in. And like, there is some, some aspect of that, with the bucks right now that, you know, if they have a team that they're just better than like, you know, going to have to try to get his, his stats in that amount of time. And that's going to be that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that a team is good or bad as this weekend proves. It's just like, you know, kind of if they're hitting shots that night and uh, if they're able to hit what they need to from the free throw line, like all of that stuff um, just kind of leads to a spot where you're just seeing an insane offensive performance from this team. And Obviously, Giannis is at the center of it. So, um, yeah, I thought pretty crazy stuff. And then just the fact that he goes, was it 10 of 11 in the fourth quarter from the free throw line or 11 of 12? Um, like that, that, again, I don't want to say that's a huge step because it is very much a rhythm thing that, you know, if you see a couple go in and you get to shoot 11 of them, that, that could really help. But, um, you know, you do always wonder, like, is there a spot where a corner gets turned? Like, is is that going to officially be the end of his his free throw struggles. And, you know, it probably, probably seems unlikely because he was seven or 12 against the Suns, but you know, maybe one of those games kind of gets that back to where he's going to start shooting over 70% again. So um, we'll see, but yeah, he's, he's just insane. Uh, you circled that play. The one I thought was the most impressive was that just ridiculous layup spin against the Suns where I think very clearly he had no idea where the rim was and somehow he manages to find it in midair and then also finish it with a a finger roll that ultimately probably left his hand two or three feet away from the basket where a normal human would have to have tossed that up from like six or seven feet out. Like it was by the basket and it went in because he's got soft touch, but it was just a just an insane play because how on earth does he even make that so um yes i like your idea frank uh we too often because we are nerds and we watch entirely too much bucks basketball and discuss too much bucks basketball we often get uh you know we get down into the nitty gritty of the bucks and don't talk about you know, their superstar all that often. Um, I shouldn't say all that often, but not as much as we should. So I, I like your idea. We'll have to make sure to enact that and practice it and make sure that we are actually hitting on this uh, each and every week. So well done, Frank. Way to remind us. We'll have to keep ourselves honest on this one. Um, anything else you want to talk about from the weekend? Um, no, I think um, one thing I was just looking at, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Brogdon and starters and the net ratings, things like that. Um, 
one thing I'm, I'm curious, I haven't really dug into it much to see if, if Budenholzer has changed his rotations at all. I mean, I think one thing obviously we saw over the weekend was um, Matthew Delvadova actually playing basketball during meaningful portions of basketball games, um, yep. which was um, a bit of a departure. Um, and against the Suns, I thought it was very clearly like sending a message to the starters. And, and I asked about that question after the game. I was like, oh, you know, you have Delhi and like that bench unit go out there. I assume, you know, there's some aspect of, you know, letting the starters know like, hey, you, you have to be better. Like you have to bring the effort. And he was like, no, like I, I thought Delhi was good in his first kind of round. And, you know, I just wanted to get him some more minutes. And it was like, OK. And I, I would say I didn't believe that. <laughs> I thought it was like, OK, that's the thing you say after a game like to kind of cover for the fact that you were sending a message to your starters. And sure enough, on Saturday, there was Delhi again. Yeah. And I, I mean, we talked about it before, before season, like, you know, you, you predicted Delhi would not be a bud guy. And then we kind of had the discussions like, is there a reason, <laughs> like, is it just cause he's bad or like, is it something about his style? I, I still think it's probably more just that he's just not good enough, not good enough rather than like stylistic. Yeah. Cause you know, one positive thing about Delhi is, I mean, he's, he's obviously not a guy who like wants to pound it into the ground. Like that's not his, obviously his like default style. Like I think if you're, if he's in a movement offense that, you know, preaches backdoor cuts and things like that, um, you know, that that's something where you can at least probably make better use of him. And, you know, in fairness to Delhi, I mean, he hit a, a, a wing three early in the fourth quarter. I think it was against the Spurs that, um, I think they were down 11, I want to say when, when he hit that shot and yep. obviously he wasn't around when they kind of, you know, during the more meaningful parts of that of that quarter but um that was a big shot you know like that that was a part of the game where it's like if you missed that yeah if you whoever took that shot and then missed it that that could be the tipping point that you just don't recover from that miss because you're just down you know double digits in the fourth quarter and I, i know obviously nowadays with threes and things like that it's easier to come back but um you know, credit to Delhi for in that shot. I don't, I don't need Delvadova in my life every game. Um, but uh, you know, with DiVincenzo out, um, and obviously with some of the lack of spark, um, at times, you know, obviously Budenholzer, you know, broke the glass and, and reached for his emergency, uh, you know, Delvadova extinguisher or whatever. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but what I was going to say is, um, I was just kind of playing around with like lineups and stuff like that. We've talked a lot about how, you know, all the start. You basically, if you, I tweeted about this over the weekend. Like, if you look at like every Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton, Lopez combination, like you take any of those two guys, like every combination is plus thirty net rating without Brogdon or better. Um, it's like crazy how efficient they've been, and they've all been like on pretty high samples at this point, I mean, over two hundred possessions each. Um, and so, I think it's interesting because I mean, with Brogdon, I think I'm just curious to see like how they kind of leverage him. And are there ways to better use him? Um, and, uh, you know, he's, I mean, it's funny to talk about this way about a guy who's putting up 50, 40, 90 numbers um, to treat him like, you know, he's the weak link of the starting five or the guy who just doesn't fit with the starters. Um, but uh, I was looking at it like uh, intuitively, I feel like Brogdon and Giannis don't always make that much sense just because like Brogdon kind of is, especially in transition, sort of has blinders on. Like, you know, when he drives, he drives to shoot like he doesn't really drive to to really play make at least not this season um and so it feels like Bledsoe and Giannis and Bledsoe and Giannis talked a fair bit about that after the game on Saturday about how kind of the how much confidence he has in Bledsoe um and and you know Bledsoe's obviously had some really big fourth quarters um but uh so I was looking I mean yeah it was interesting Brogdon and Middleton together um 
without Giannis and without Bledsoe are plus 23 net rating this year. Um, so I was kind of like wondering again, like, you you know, like whatever, like you, you can kind of armchair quarterback these things as much as you want. Um, and again, it's 140 possessions. It's not as, and it's not a ton, but intuitively it kind of makes sense to me that like Brogdon Middleton might be a better combination than like Brogdon and Giannis or yeah. And again, obviously Giannis and anyone is, is like a better combination than, than sure. someone and not Giannis. But um, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we even saw, Brogdon with neither of those three guys at times this week, which over the course of the season has really not been a, a good idea <laughs> um, because you, I mean, Jack- interestingly enough, that's been like kind of a staggering lineup that he likes at the end of the first quarter that Bud likes where it's Brogdon with like either four bench guys or like maybe like Brooke Lopez or something. And it's just like, huh? I don't know if that would have been the guy I chose to stagger with a bench unit. Yeah. And I think maybe the idea is just, I mean, Brogdon, you know, he's gotten to the rim a lot. Um, and you know, for a combo, he's a good finisher. I think he's like 97th percentile in, in rim frequency and 80th percentile in rim finishing this year. Um, so, you know, and he's, he's obviously been very efficient cause he really, he really doesn't take mid range shots anymore. So he doesn't take tons of threes. Um, you know, he still doesn't shoot a really high volume of threes. Um, and, you know, you look at, um, kind of the Brogdon plus nobody lineup <laughs> plus nobody lineups. Um, only 95 possessions, they're minus 23 net rating. So it's still very much small sample size theater. Most of those are with when Henson and when were with Henson and DiVincenzo. And so, you know, it kind of tells you how dated um, those are at this point. So we'll kind of see. Um, and the interesting thing is those lines have mostly been, um, the, uh, they really haven't had a necessarily a hard time scoring. They've just been killed defensively, which again, like, I don't know if that's really a Brogman problem that, you know, you can't defend with Malcolm Brogdon on the court. Like, yes, he does die on screens. Like, yes, the, right. And I think that's why point guard wise, like I'm nervous about like him just being the point yeah. guard. Um, but um, so, you know, I, I think it's fair to say, obviously a defensive, they're going to be better with Bledsoe than, than Brogdon. But um, you know, like they're, I mean, in the small sample, they're 133 <laughs> defensive rating. Like, okay, it shouldn't be that bad. Um, but anyway, so one of those things to watch, you know, um, I think, like right now, obviously, you know, 14 and five, they're playing at a really high level. Um, I think the Hornets game is a good test. Uh, Charlotte loses on Sunday. Who was it? It was against somebody bad they lost. Um, so they're coming on off back to back, but they're going to be home. So, um, you know, another good test. And, and again, like, you know, we haven't obviously seen many games where the Bucks play a team for the second time. Um, you know, they've played the Wolves a bunch of times between preseason and regular season. We've seen them play the Bulls a bunch of times. Um, and we've seen them, you know, bounce back from losing to the Blazers to to crush the Blazers. So, um, you know. And the Nuggets as well. That's right. And the Nuggets as well. Generally, you know, they, they have not had a drop off from one game to the next, which is kind of an interesting thing to watch for because the Bucks have changed their style so much from year to year that yeah, I think there's it's fair to kind of wonder like, oh, well, like, you know, when teams get a second look at them, are they going to be more successful. Um, and so far, no, um, we haven't seen really any, any, you know, pet pattern there, but uh, also by the same token, we also haven't seen, um, you know, them obviously getting through, you know, multiple rounds with, uh, with good teams in the regular season. So, um, I think again, like, you know, certainly as well as Bledsoe has played, let's just say this, they're going to need a lot more fourth quarter Bledsoe against Devin Booker than first quarter Devin Booker versus Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> um, they're going to need him engaged. And obviously, you know, the fact that Kemba lit them up in game one, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks defend him um, from the start. Hopefully you'd expect 
Bledsoe to be very engaged. Um, but uh, we'll be interested to see. I mean, the the Hornets threw them. I, I mean, the Hornets played them about as small as any team has played them this year. Um, so I think yep. it'll be interesting to see just how the Bucks kind of cope with that. Um, you know, Ursan being out on Saturday, I don't know what his status will be on Monday. Um, but he's obviously the guy that they've generally gone with when, uh, with Giannis, when they've gone small. So, um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that evolves. Cause the, the other weird thing too, is like with, when kid Gilchrist is on the floor, I mean, they played, they tried to keep Lopez in early in the fourth quarter of the opener. Um, to actually tried to feed Brooke inside. Um, cause Gil- Gilchrist is a little weird, right? Cause it's not like you're worried about kid Gilchrist, like having to account yeah. for him on the perimeter. So he makes you a lot more mobile defensively, but he doesn't like, I mean, it's not like they're like stretching you out. Right. And that's sort of been the Hornets problem is like, you know, it's Kemba in a cloud of dust. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious to see just how they, um, how they defend. And, um, I think, you know, my, my hope is that Giannis will get a good whistle. Cause I feel like in that first game, they kind of mugged him to death and I think he still had a bunch of free throws, but, um, was not a particularly efficient night for him either. So, um, you know, again, uh, every every game you know you 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 every game you can wrap up rack up keep pace with with the raptors i think is a good thing we've seen the the sixers not exactly look terribly convincing uh, since the jimmy butler trade but he's had a couple big uh, game winning shots so they've been able to win some close games so um you know when you're trying to be elite it's never a bad time to get wins <laughs> every game you want to yeah. crank out wins and um you know over the next week they get some teams that are, let's just say not elite in, uh, in the early going of the season. So, um, start on Monday and I guess, you know, day by day, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. That I, I think that Hornets game brings up a lot of interesting questions, like kind of how they handle all of that stuff. Because, um, after that Hornets game, I think we talked a lot about, you know, what lineups will they use and how will they close games? Because the Hornets threw a lot of that shit at them, uh, to really start off the season. And, um, I mean, we've seen it at times come up and be interesting, but you know, in the last couple of weeks, I, I don't know that we've seen it quite as much. Uh, some of those questions about like, how do you close? Can Brooke Lopez stay on the floor? And granted, I, I mean, I think that has something to do with Brooke Lopez really embracing, let it fly in the last like two weeks where instead of like five threes a game, he's like, I'm going to shoot 10. That's how it's going to be. And um, I think maybe that helps make it a little bit more sustainable, a little bit easier to put them on the floor. So uh, we'll have to watch kind of how all of that unfolds, but it should be interesting. Uh, Walker, 41 points, 15 of 29 from the field, 7 of 13 from the three-point line um, in that game. And that was a game that Bledsoe said he was pretty salty about afterwards, uh, even though Bud said he did a good job defensively. So I'd be curious to see if he uh, has a, a little bit a better game or you know if he comes out focused early and picks up fouls or, or kind of how that goes and then yeah Giannis uh, 9 of 21 that night on for 25 points 18 rebounds eight assists uh eight turnovers for him that night uh, you may remember a number of charges getting called on him he had five personal fouls and that kind of slowed him down at the end of the game that I, in many ways I thought kept him from posting up uh some smaller defenders from the Hornets so we'll see if that goes differently uh here on Monday so For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.